Before we get into some of the details of the federal budget announced last Tuesday, I wanted to start with the very ideological framework in which we tend to discuss government spending, and by we I mean politicians, journalists, economists and so on, an ideological framework which then filters down to the general population. This is the idea that we must, as a nation, constantly work towards a budget surplus, that the sky will fall in if the federal government maintains a deficit. Many people repeat this as if it were a religious mantra. Explain to our listeners, Dr Dennis, where this obsession with budget surpluses comes from and what, in your opinion, it's really about. Uh, Look, I I must admit, as an economist, I have no idea where the obsession with budget surplus comes from. It certainly doesn't come from economics, but it's become a political uh, it's become a political reality in in a handful of countries around the world, Australia being one of them. Uh, So first things first, the definition, all a surplus means is the government is promising to collect more in tax than it spends on us in goods and services. You can only have a surplus if you collect more tax than you spend on goods and services. Now, how or why conservative governments would think that running surpluses every year uh, is their goal uh, makes very little makes very little economic or even political sense. I mean, why why would a party that wants to have low taxes promise to collect more tax uh, than it spends in revenue? Now. I hate to say it, I think the answer is quite simple. The word surplus sounds good. The word deficit sounds bad. Most people don't pay close attention to the definition. So when asked whether they'd prefer a surplus or a deficit, they they go with surplus. But uh, anyone that's ever bought a house has run an enormous budget deficit. If you earn $50,000 a year and bought a $500,000 house one year, then you must have run a big deficit. That doesn't make you irresponsible. doesn't make you reckless. In fact, that's what most people would define as good long-term management. So, uh, yeah, deficits and surpluses play a very important symbolic role in the Australian public debate. But as for the economics behind them, um, yeah, I, I can't really explain it. And certainly most countries in the world, including most rich countries, uh, certainly don't, don't, don't share that obsession. Further to the question of surpluses, deficits and exactly how these determinations are made, one thing that's very striking is how let's be charitable and say malleable, the bottom line figures are. The Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has promised a $7.1 billion surplus next year, and there are also projections of a surplus well into the future. But it seems most people don't realise these figures are quite literally made up. They're not, as it were, real tangible figures because they rely on all sorts of assumptions about commodity prices, the economic growth rate, wages growth, the size of the tax base, and so on. Just how manipulated are these figures, Dr. Dennis? Oh, look, well, well, they're certainly arbitrary. Uh, manipulation, it certainly implies something's done on purpose. And I don't think it's unfair to suggest that the, this government and previous government uh, have been rather determined to have optimistic forecasts of growth and optimistic forecasts of wages growth so that they can forecast there'll be lots of revenue in the future and they can get headlines saying we're back in the black. But one thing we can measure is cash and cash in and cash out. And uh, the government's in deficit this year, just like it's been in deficit for the last five years. Um, what they're projecting is that next year they won't. Now, it's possible they'll run a small surplus next year, but 
in the scheme of things, that's that's irrelevant. In the last six years, this this government uh, has increased public debt by more than three hundred billion dollars. Uh, they came to office in 2013 saying we had a a budget emergency. They came to office in 2013 saying the level of debt was too high. Uh, but since coming to office, they've doubled the amount of debt that Australian that the Australian government has doubled it, and they're saying, "But don't worry about that. Sure, we've increased borrowing by three hundred billion dollars, but next year we'll repay seven billion of that. That is, they're running a small. They're saying they'll run a small surplus next year, and they'll pay down the debt with that. Well, they've increased debt by three hundred billion. Uh, they're, they're proposing to have a surplus next year of seven billion. Uh, $7 billion is a lot less than $300 billion, but uh, again, they're telling us not to worry. Uh, as an economist, I would say we shouldn't worry too much, but I'd also say that you know the, the budget emergency was phony, the fear campaign about public debt was phony, and, and now the, the celebrations around a tiny little budget surplus are phony as well. Coming now to some of the measures in the budget itself, Treasurer Frydenberg was, of course, crowing about the extra $1,080 an average single Australian taxpayer will be able to pocket under the government's proposed income tax cuts. But the truth is these tax cuts are very regressive, with those earning less than $40,000 receiving virtually no tax cut at all, whereas those earning $200,000 a year will get an extra $104 a week through tax cuts. Meanwhile, for instance, ASIO and the Australian Federal Police will receive an extra $570 million in funding. What does that say about this government's real priorities? I think the budgets are one of the clearest statements of the government's priorities we ever get. And uh, yes, it's true, the government's announced some some modest tax cuts for low-income earners, uh, but they've also announced some very generous tax cuts for high-income earners. Uh, that reflects their priorities. Uh, they've chosen not to increase unemployment benefits. They've chosen uh, not to spend more addressing Indigenous disadvantage. They've chosen not to spend more on climate change, but uh, they're proposing to spend an extra half a billion dollars on, on organisations like ASIO. That reflects their priorities. So, uh, look, Australia is one of the richest countries in the world. We live at the richest point in world history. We can afford to do anything we want but we can't afford to do everything we want and that's why we elect governments to make those decisions on our behalf but it's also why we have elections every three years to make sure that the government's priorities line up with ours so if most Australians like the idea of giving big tax cuts to high income earners and no tax cuts to low income earners then the government will be re-elected and they can keep doing that. And if most people don't like the sound of that, uh, then perhaps they'll elect a new government and perhaps that new government will have new priorities. There's nothing complicated about it. Speaking of the election, it seems very likely we will have a federal election on the 18th of May and that Labor will secure a victory, although, of course, there's nothing ever guaranteed in the way of elections. In your view, will a future Labor government be beholden to the same ideological framework, this neoliberal tenet we spoke about of prioritising so-called fiscal responsibility and balanced budgets over what, in my view, governments ought to do, which is spend public money on public services that benefit the greatest possible number of people? Yeah, look, that's right. I mean, neoliberalism, the idea that the lower the taxes, the less spending government undertakes, the more efficient the economy is, 
Uh, that idea has dominated state and federal politics of Labor and Liberal governments for decades in Australia. But uh, I think it's safe to say at the moment that that Bill Shorten and the federal uh, and the federal opposition are proposing one of the least neoliberal uh, tax and spending agendas, certainly in my adult lifetime. They're, they're proposing to collect literally hundreds of billions of dollars in additional revenue by removing tax concessions and closing loopholes. Uh, and they're proudly saying they're going to collect that more, that increase in revenue, and they're going to spend it on uh, health, education, climate change and other services. So... Uh, for many years, it's been uh, a major criticism of Australian politics was that the big parties just kind of looked exactly the same. Well, I, I certainly don't think you can say that in the lead up to this election. Uh, for me, I don't think there's such thing as a perfect political party, but Australia is being offered the perfect political choice, uh, or one of them at least, um, when it comes to when it comes to taxing and spending. Because you have the Liberals saying they promise to tax less and spend less, and you have Labor saying they promise to collect more revenue, not by increasing tax rates, but by closing loopholes. Uh, so you've got the opposition saying they'll collect more revenue and spend more on services. And of course, in a democracy, it's up to us to decide which we like the sound of.